Welcome to Twice Five Miles Radio, fertile ground for conversations worth listening to and remembering. I'm your host, James Nave. We're always broadcasting first on WPVM LP Asheville 103.7, streaming online, WPVMFM.org, the voice of Asheville, heard all over the world, and on other community radio stations like KCEI, Cultural Energy Radio out of Taos, New Mexico. I'd like to thank Walter Parks for our theme song. Thank you, Walter Parks, for all the good work you do on that guitar you play and the songs you write. We do appreciate it. If you're interested in Walter's music, WalterParks.com is a good place to look. If you'd like to reach out to me, JamesNave.com. Nave is spelled N-A-V-E. We'd love to hear from you. What's your story on your side of the field? What's going on out there in the world? And if you'd ever like to join me for a writing workshop or a writing session, I do something every Every Saturday morning at 10 o'clock Mountain Time with my collaborative creative partner, Allegra Houston, and we do an imaginative storm writing prompt of the week gathering. And folks just come on to the Zoom circle. It's really not a circle. It's a square. And they, they write with us for an hour. And we have great fun. And some people read and some people listen. So if you have an interest in that, imaginativestorm.com. That's imaginativestorm.com. If you are interested in joining us, we would love to, to have you. And thank you, Davine Dial, for all the good work you do at WPV. MFM. It's community radio. It belongs to all of us. And Davine, you hold it together. That way we're able to broadcast our shows anywhere we want all over the world on other community radio stations as well. If you've been listening to this show, and I hope you have, you know that I have people coming on the show every, every week. I sometimes have longtime friends that I've connected with for years. We just pick up our conversations and go on over the air. And other times I have people I've just started to get to know. I've just discovered, if you will. And today I have such a guest. I believe our paths have crossed a fair amount in Asheville over the years. Her name is Angela Shelton. We both have a TEDx Asheville talk to our credit. And I don't think we did it on the same year. If you heard her talk, you would remember she said squish in her TEDx Asheville <laughs> talk. And people just loved it. I know I was there and, and I loved it too. Angela Shelton is a, she's an actor, she's a, a producer, a filmmaker, she has a recording studio in Nashville, she's a spoken word artist, a, a poet, an activist, and does many, many, many other things. She's from the Asheville area, as I am, and that was a motivation enough for me to talk to Angela, because I, I love to talk to people from the same place I'm from, from the Southern Highlands from the beautiful Asheville Mountains, the Smoky Mountains. And so Angela Shelton, welcome to Twice Five Miles Radio. Hey, I am so excited. I love Asheville so much. You know, I have Angela Shelton Day in Asheville. Well, tell us all about Angela Shelton Day. That's a great place to start and tell us why in the world you have Angela Shelton Day in Asheville. I bet people are just as curious as they can be. Some of them I expect already know about it, but those yeah. who don't, fill us in. April 29th is Angela Shelton Day and it's in honor of all survivors of abuse and trauma to heal and get better and it's inspiring everyone who's been through trauma. came from my documentary where I traveled around the country and I met every Angela Shelton in America. My name is not really my name it's more a symbol. That's why when you see like my logo and says I love Angela Shelton even though that seems like a big old ego thing it's actually not it's more like I'm not going to kill myself. I'm going to actually get better and move on. It became a symbol of resilience. And so that's why the name Angela Shelton became a day. 
in your effort to organize the Angela Shelton Day and your effort to create this documentary film, Searching for Angela Shelton, which I watched and was really quite drawn into it. And I love the way you use the RV trope in a literary way of movement. You have the RV on the road. I love the way you drove the RV around. And then you also use the little magnetic RV to move around yeah. the, the map as well to give us an idea of, of where you went. So what was it about that trip yeah. that got you I, on the road? And how did you manage to work all that out? Yeah, exactly. Well, to be honest, I was told by my former mate, let's say, a male filmmaker, that I was too young and too female to direct a film. Like you say that to me among many other women and all of a sudden you're like, watch this. And I put it together to make this documentary and I was simply surveying women in America. I was like, who are you? Where have you been? And where are you going? And I was using Angela Shelton's because there were so many of them as just a way, a vehicle in which to meet women. Actually, I thought it was gonna be funny. My, my original idea was like who you voted for and like what you feel about the world. And, when I just asked my general, like, who are you? Where have you been? And where are you going? All of them were like, well, who the hell are you? And where have you been? And where are you going? I was like, oh, okay. Well, I am from Asheville and I come from a pretty intense past. I was removed from my home and put into foster care and then grew up po. But I got out and I traveled the world and I was lucky enough to literally traveled the world and I became a model and then a writer and then my first movie Tumbleweeds you can see that out there now it's about me and my mom traveling and you know and then I got married many times and now I'm making new movies and here I am talking to you and all of them said uh what'd you say about your past what was that story I'm like oh it's fine I have a therapist she's expensive I'm cool how are you and all of them were like, well, I'd like to hear about that because me too. And this was way before me too. And it became like 70% of the women I was talking to had been victims of child sexual abuse, rape, and or domestic violence. And then I talked to one of the Angela Shelton's who was living in the same town as my dad, which I did not put two and two together because I had no intention of seeing him. It's just, there was an Angela Shelton there and she was tracking sexual predators. Like, you can't write that. If you put that in a screenplay, the producer's going to be like, ah, it's too easy. And so she was tracking sexual predators and we started talking and I mentioned my dad to her and she looked him up and she couldn't find anything on him. I was like, well, yes, yeah, because he never got caught. And then when we arrived, when we were on the road, we looked at the calendar and we're like, oh my God, it literally, we arrived to her interview on Father's Day. So it's like, you can't write that. Right. And so it's like, that's like lightning in a bottle. And I being the dummy was like, I will go and confront him and talk to him on the day. I'll give you guys a day off and I'll just go do it. And my crew was like, uh, Angela, th this is your movie. You do realize that I'm like, no, no, no. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and I just had that total come to Jesus of like, oh no. So all the Angela Shelton's became my like Greek chorus, really. They, they were like there to kind of push me forward and push me in and inspire me. And I went and confronted him on Father's Day as he left for church on film, even got him to sign a release and change his shirt 
because he's like, will this show up in straps? And I'm like, oh my God, you are really <laughs> in denial. And so he sat there and I interviewed him and that actual footage and the movie itself, but mainly that interview is taught in sociology classes all over now. Yeah, for those of you listening, if you'd like to see that full documentary, you can find that at AngelaShelton.com, which is where I found it. And I believe that'll lead you to YouTube, or you might even be able to watch it on your website, I think. The link on YouTube is on my site, too. So when you approached him, and in the movie, those of you listening in the audience out there will be able to see this scene, you both sat on the porch. And this man is older now, looks like any fellow who would be in his 70s or maybe 80s by now. I don't know quite how old he would be. And he seemed so friendly, so nice, so pleasant, so glad to see you. And then he demonstrated gaslighting in probably the most uh, skilled way anybody could. Tell us what was going through your head when he was doing all that gaslighting and maybe explain a bit about what gaslighting is for those people out there who may not be as familiar with it as as you are. A little plug for a nonprofit that I really like, it's domesticshelters.org is amazing with like has all this information on there. You can just look up gaslighting and they'll show you videos. Believe me, I've gone there myself and been like, what just happened to me? (laughs) It is making you think that you're crazy twisting your words around, twisting the facts around. It makes you think that you're crazy. And on my uh, podcast that I have called 101 Ways to Heal, the first episode is me and my best friend on there. She actually asked me something that no one had ever asked me. She's like, what happened when you first opened the door? I knocked on the door, he opened the door because most everybody sees us, we're already sitting there on the porch. And I was like, oh, wow, that's nobody's ever asked me that. He hugged me and tongue kissed me. And she was like, what? I'm your best friend and you never mentioned that. And I was like, yeah, because it makes me feel actually sick that I didn't punch him or freak out. Or it was like, literally, oh, wow. Okay, well, here we are back to normal. That threw me. So already I was like twisted in my head. And then when we sat there and I got him to sign a release and change his shirt, and I was like, I need you in my movie. Like I said to him, all roads lead to you, apparently, in this documentary. And I need to talk to you about our past. And he's like, okay, okay. Well, if that's all what your brother did and you guys made it up and thought you saw something in the sky. I mean, he literally says, this is like Haley's Comet when people think they saw something in the sky and you're like, well, Haley's Comet was a real thing, but okay, jackass. It makes you think you're crazy me my catharsis sitting there ended up growing even more while I edited the film because I edited the film after I went through two editors I decided to get rid of everybody and just do it myself which was probably the most cathartic thing I've ever done in my whole entire life it's one thing to confront your perpetrator it's a whole other thing to edit it holy cow because you have to watch it all over and over again like I went through every possible gamut of emotions but sitting there on the porch it's almost like I realized it, that I've been looking for dad in men. And I'm like, I have to adopt a dad or be my own dad. I literally have to like, I have to forget this man. Like I have to like literally either erase him or re- replace him. 
which I ended up doing. I ended up getting adopted two amazing dads. One has passed away and one is still living and they became my dads. And like, you know, Jake Eberts, who was the most excellent human I've ever met in my life. He saw my documentary and at Sundance, he was spectacular, my dear. And he, I mean, this guy was the most exceptional man. He did, he was the producer on any G or PG rated movie you could, you could name like Chariots of Fire, Gandhi, Driving Miss Daisy, Dances with Wolves, like the list goes, he's got like 68 of them or something crazy. He just loved me and loved the documentary. He was so helpful and awesome. And I said to him one time, I was like, you know, God, I wish I had you as a dad. And he goes, well, darling, I'll adopt you. And he started calling me his daughter. And that literally fired off so many neuropathways in my brain that it healed so many deep levels, even in my body and out of my body and in my aura, like, you know, on all levels that I, just by him doing that. And it continued. Like he would, he would text me and email me, hello, my daughter, how are you? And I'm like, I, I can't even, I have no words of how you have helped me. So on the porch is when I realized I needed to do that. Once I finished the movie, I was able to erase him and replace him. <laughs> and when I watched the scene of you on the porch, I could feel that gaslighting. I could see how he denied everything. I wondered if he actually believed it or was he lying on purpose or had he convinced himself none of that happened? He was so convinced of it when he was saying it, it was so true to him. And I think that may be what happens with people who gaslight. They believe the lie so deeply that it, in its own perverted way, becomes almost believable, even though you know it's not believable or even right. though you know it's not true. Yeah, yeah, I know. It, it's crazy making for real. But, you know, that actually movie has helped so many, mainly for the outburst that I have afterwards. And, and I had a dream I had to do that. I had this, I woke up after we saw him and I was like, I am so pent up with rage, truly, that I need to release it. And I just need to be in the RV and tell my DP, my cinematographer, just stay out of my way and don't get hurt. And I just have to express myself, you know? And I was like, and we have to do it now. And I pulled over. And everybody got out and it was just me and him in there. And I just was like, I, and this might be crazy. It might not end up anywhere, but it's like a therapy for me. I, I have to lose my mind. And we did it. So I lost my mind. And then I walked out and I had parked unknowingly next to a graveyard. So it was like, for me, it was like, oh, see, I'm putting all this to rest. It's like, it's all, it's like the past is dead. And then the next Angela Shelton helped people pass away. Not weird, not like, <laughs> like in a healthy way. She, so many layers of meaning in that movie. It was really great. And it's like a poem. It goes back to you. So the idea of poetry seems to emerge from so many stories I hear, mm -hmm. even though people don't identify themselves as poets Every story I hear is loaded with poetic implications, poetic energy, poetic drive, like burying your father in the graveyard after you just had the conversation with him and knowing you must do that in order to get back to the RV and drive on with the Angela Shelton life you have. You know, I left that 
documentary thinking, you know, we're all Angela Shelton in one way or another. We're all Angela Shelton. Nice of you to say, because I, I like that that's coming from a male voice because I would always, I will now always do shout outs to male survivors because that's a definitely a silent group. Yeah, we all human beings have some sort of a rough, rough patch along the way. Even the ones who claim they don't have a rough patch. My life was perfect. I've never met anybody that actually has had that. That's why they, that's why they call it life for God's sake. Now, some people have had hard rows to hoe harder than others. I know when I grew up, I've talked about this a lot on the show. I grew up in Asheville. I grew up in the fifties. My father was a world war II veteran. I even did a solo show recently on that. In fact, I, I talk about it a fair amount. And when he came back from the war, he was abusive to us because he had the war with him. And I also had an experience. I won't go into too many details about it, but when I was 10, 11, and 12, there was a next door neighbor who was 18 or 19. And he was able to entice me to engage him similar ways to the way you experienced it with your father. And I know that. And when I did that, I remember on your documentary film, your brother said, oh, a part of me enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember that as well. A part of me was intrigued by it, enjoyed it, even though it was a, a way of diverting me from my own forward as a, as a young boy moving into manhood. Now, I managed to square it and write it, and I am not carrying too much of a burden. And yet I do understand that it can happen to everybody and has happened to many, many people, probably a lot more than you would think. And likely there are a lot of males out there who've had similar experiences to mine and they don't, oh, yeah. they don't talk about it. They forget about it. Oh yeah. My speaking engagements when I travel the country, I make jokes. Like it's hard to get a date after you make an incest movie. No joke. I actually was dating and I can't even tell you how many times I, I end up holding a man. And he's crying because he's telling me his story. We do have all of these aspects of our lives and we have been traumatized. We've seen joy. We've seen sadness, heartbreak, grief, excitement, you know, the travel energy. And in all of that, we express it in many different ways. Now, I know that you made the movie and then you just said, well, I couldn't find anybody that I really appreciated to edit it. So I just did it myself. And I know that you have a recording studio that you work in. It's a bit like a church. People gather and they eat cookies and make music. And we love that. And, and you do all kinds of other creative things, including having lived in Paris for a bit of time or having spent some time in Paris. One of my favorite cities. I, I love Paris. And I've been years and years spending time in Paris because my best friend, John Van Hasselt, lives on Rue Dauphine, which is in the sixth, not too far from Point Neuf. And I've spent oh, years nice. of being around that town. <laughs> so you've done all of this creative work. When did you realize the creative arenas that you wanted to work in and the talents that you had, when did you realize that you could use all of those talents and really get traction with it because a lot of people are really talented most people are and yet most people somehow don't manage to get much traction they 
don't do much. And they tell you later in their life. I teach a lot of artist way classes. I work with a book called The Artist Way. And, I love The Artist Way. Yeah, and Julia Cameron and I were business partners for a long time. Amazing. And we did all this stuff. And so I've had the opportunity to do these Artist Way classes for years. And people show up and they go, well, I just never did what I wanted to do. How oh. did you manage to find your way into <laughs> modeling and acting and, and all of the other disciplines that you now enjoy? That is so funny. Always by crash landings, to be honest crash landings and by the hair. What's, what's the term? By the hair of my skinny skin chin. <laughs> and I got to say, I would call myself a preacher, but not in the typical way. I turned the pulpit upside down. I put pages that were deleted back in. Fate, really. Also a need to literally survive and nobody else is doing it for you. Just like my documentary, I, I had the pleasure of having one mentor, very similar to Jake Eberts, who is very, very high in Hollywood, is <clears throat> head of one of the big studios, just loves me, not the creepy way, but he just has such respect for me. And he always said, you need to direct, you need to direct, you need to direct, send him anything. And I sent him the documentary and I was like, what do I do with this? And he gave me great advice. He's like, do what you're already doing. Do not get into Hollywood. Don't do any of these contracts because they're just going to rob you and take your movie from you. Just continue to get on the road. And so I, I basically was inspired and also pushed by him to learn independent movie making and also email marketing, social media. Mar I mean, there was no social media back then. It was all email marketing, Friendster and MySpace and all that stuff. So I just honestly went on the road. I went on the road and I learned the power of people. And like my numbers now, because it's too long ago that I got on Instagram, for example, the numbers that people look at, they're like, well, what are your numbers are not in the millions? You know, everyone's so judgmental of that kind of thing. And now like agencies won't sign you unless you have certain numbers. And it's just like, oh, for God's sakes. What I learned on the road is people are what are powerful. And if you get with the people and go back to tent revival meetings, really. And when you're actually meeting with people and having connections with the humans, that is the power. Just you and I talking, we're, we're going to connect and we actually are linking up other ideas and introducing each other to other people. And, and that is what makes creativity. And I believe the message and the mission rise and continue. Yeah, to answer your question, it's like literally crash landing. How I started modeling, my mom took me and had a astrology chart done. And the lady said that modeling would be very lucrative for me. So my mom's like, well, you better get to one of those agencies. And so they had open call. So we drove up to LA and I had terrible teeth. Poor Southern girl from the mountains. I went into Nina Blanchard. She saw me and she's like, oh my God, you'd be such a good model, but your teeth are terrible. Go get your teeth fixed. And I couldn't ever get my teeth fixed because we couldn't afford braces. So just not happening. Well, lo and behold, I get my learner's permit. I pull out. I get rear-ended in a crash landing and the insurance that paid was the exact amount of money that I needed for braces. <laughs> I mean, so that's my life, like literally. You know, in the artist way work, one of the big tools or one of the big things that Julia Cameron talks about, that she talks about synchronicity. Oh, yeah. And you never think of synchronicity as being rear-ended by a car and then having <laughs> your braces put on because of the insurance yep. coverage covered exactly the cost of the braces. Yep. So when you were getting all of these opportunities and luck played a role, 
your own presence, skill played a role, a bit of your grit. You had to have some kind of spine in order to be able to say yes to this. A lot of people would have an opportunity like that and they would say no. Yet it seems as I talk with you and get to know you a little better on this call, do you think you may have a mystical relationship with saying yes? Ooh, what a, ooh, I just got goosies. That's a great way to say it. Yeah, yes, yes. I'm going to say yes. <laughs> mystical relationship with saying yes. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Gosh, what a great little turn we just took in that conversation. I, I am very into that stuff. Very much. My big, big show that I'm working on where like every single thing that I'm doing are baby steps to this big, big show that I'm putting together, which is a conversation with God and a sexual relationship with God. Hallelujah. <laughs> so yes. And, and that has happened my whole life. I've always had uh, miracles happen. I mean, I've legit had like beans appear to me. I've had balls of light appear to me. I'm the rebel. I question it. Did that really just happen? I've learned like to stop saying, did that really just happen? And be like, okay, ready for whatever's next. Whether it's a car crash or whether it's like a miracle that falls in my lap. It is mystical. It is very mystical. It's a learning process for me to not freak the hell out because my life has been so traumatic and so stressful. I mean, I've been in every tax bracket, right? And so like, and I'm a poor kid who, from the mountains, who ended up modeling and making a ton of money and living in Paris and doing the catwalks and the whole thing. And I'm like, what the hell am I doing here? You people are crazy. <laughs> and then I ended up moving to LA and my movie was at the Oscars and the Grammys don't really care about all that stuff. It doesn't taint me. If anything, I'm like, how can I bring some goodness into this conversation? I don't know. I just keep getting the nudge to tell you this. For my movie, The Hammer, I was in New York City for the opening of it. And there was a usher at the, at the, at the theater called Anthony. And I would always go there like an hour early, 30 minutes early to be there to, so that I could go to every single screening of it, you know, show up if anybody had any questions, I'd talk to them in the lobby or whatever. And I'm like, yo, what's up, Anthony? And I would just stand there and talk to him. And he's like, oh my God, Angela, how's, how's it going? I was like, who's in there? What's it going? He heard any laughs, heard any tears, you know, that kind of thing. And on like fourth day, he goes, hey, Angela, can I ask you a question? I was like, sure, Anthony, what's up? And he's like, were you raised poor? Wow, what a wild question to ask me. But, and I was like, yeah, yeah, I was very much. Why do you say that? And he goes, because you talk to me. He goes, you talk to me and you're kind and you actually look at me and everyone else looks through me. And I was like, you think that's from being raised poor? And he goes, yeah, because you had no way to survive. So you have to be kind. Do you think that's true? I think that there's a lot of truth to that, but it's like, you can go either way. You either go angry, like as I was raised around people, angry at the world, or you go like you go free for all, like hold out your arms and go at the cliff ledge and be like, okay, well, God, come on, I'm falling. <laughs> During this whole global pandemic, everyone hit rock bottom and did crazy things. I try to have conversations, mystical conversations, if you will. And I just talk straight up and I'm like, yo, seriously, like, why is this so hard? Can it be easy a little bit? Like, how does it have to be so frustrating? And I'm trying to like stay with like, okay, I believe, I trust, I trust that I'm doing the right thing, but this is crazy stressful. 
why is it so so stressful and why do why do you have to have me lose everything <laughs> it's not like i get a voice in my head like schizophrenia but it's i get like thoughts that'll pop up and i totally heard in air quotes well where's the fun in that and so that actually let me relax a little bit and even with my films like the hammer as far as being creative and trusting your creativity that's my baby if you want to be my friend you need to see that movie the hammer it was originally called heart baby it is truly like me as a filmmaker that is my poem that is my spoken word that is my thesis on the world and then my big big show pricked which is prick ed instead of sex ed that's my thesis on me and all my mystical experiences. But when I was walking into the fourth day of filming Heart Baby slash The Hammer, I lost my second investor. And here I am running the show. It's 250 people on payroll. I have 25 trucks. I've got all the unions, all the, uh, and I had 11 days to raise a million dollars. And I mean, most people would lay down and literally just die. <laughs> but it's like, all right, well, okay. I'm going to turn gray a little bit. And I just kept asking. I'm like, well, show me, show me where to go. Show me who to talk to. And uh, I did it literally. Tell us about the hammer. Give everybody a, just a little bit of a theme uh, about the show. Uh, it's a true story about a prison boxer in that, in Tennessee who was arrested when he was 18. He just turned 18. He became a boxer inside with his best, there's a black guy who's a boxer, George, and then his best friend, Andy, who is my friend, was his corner man. And George was undefeated. Nobody could defeat him. And they kept sending in champions to fight him. And he knocked out all of them, including John Tate. If you're a boxing fan, that's what ruined John Tate's career. And it was a big secret. Well, they offered him freedom to fight in the 1984 Olympics and win the gold for the US. And he said no. And the movie is why he said no. Why he chose to stay in prison over freedom. And it is so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And, and speaking of poetry, I am very into poetry visually. And how I directed that movie, it is a sunrise. The whole movie is a sunrise. So ev every single thing from the makeup, the outfits, the wardrobe, the sets, Every single thing follows the color theme of a sunrise starting in the dark, deep blues and purples. And it goes into red and orange. And the only time you, you only ever see red and orange once, just like a sunrise. And then it goes into the pinks and then baby blues and then white in the end. And you don't walk out of there thinking like, I just saw a sunrise, but you feel it. You feel an awakening. Every single department, they had graphs. I had very, detailed color graphs for each department and they loved it they're like wow this is like we don't get this from directors I'm like well you get it from me and you better follow that at one point one of the actors showed up and he had like a slightly green shirt on I was like no there's no green in this movie go back follow your chart people <laughs> the fellow John who was the boxer who was asked to Fight in George. the Olympics. George, the fellow George, the boxer who was asked to fight in the Olympics. And he said no. Yeah. Was his no a mystical yes? Oh, God, I'm a cry. Yes, it was. Yes. His his no was a mystical yes to something else that was more powerful than freedom. And what was that? Well, I, I'm not gonna tell you, you have to see the movie. Well, the movie 
can be seen. It's called The Hammer. Is that right? <laughs> the Hammer, yeah. And you have to, there's another movie called The Hammer in, from 2010. That's all. So you have to make sure you go The Hammer, you know, Angela Shelton. And it's got a, a black guy on the front with red boxing gloves and it's blue. The other one is kind of like orangey, tan. The distributors were like, no, no, trust us. It needs to be called The Hammer. And I trusted. I was like, I think you have a good point. Because Heart Baby, when you see the movie, the only title for it is Heart Baby. It's like heart slash baby explanation point. But when you just see the packaging, because the number one fan of this movie is a white male conservative. And if he, if he served the military and if he's a Christian, and that's my guy. They go bananas for this movie but they're not going to look at an independent movie called heart baby but they'll see the cover of prison boxing movie called the hammer you have told us about all of the collaborators you've worked with over the the time you talked about the collaborators when you were traveling around the country looking for angela shelton's and now you've talked about the collaborators you had on the movie and the investors and finding the money and you being the director. So in a sense, you are the leader and yet all of these other people around you are creative leaders as well in their, in their own right. Oh, yeah. And it's, I would love for you to talk about the idea of collaboration and leadership and, and how you are able to work this work in a way that allows people to be themselves and follow your lead and yet still get their work done and maybe reflect on you as a woman director, female director, do you have pushback from males? And if so, what kind of experience is that? Well, I'll answer that first. Honestly, people were asking me that while I was making the movie. And I, I literally said, you know what? I don't have time to answer that question because I'm making a movie, but I, didn't really run into it twice. Two people I had to fire of just being just so dismissive. So I fired two people and that was it. And, and that's out of 250. It's pretty, pretty dang good. You know, actors are crazy sometimes, but most of my actors that I worked with were fabulous and they were in my next movie. Really, even with the recording studio, I think the whole collaboration is more like if you set a theme, kind of like my sunrise theme, I have a sunrise, and there's a color theme, there's a color palette, there's a set of rules, now do whatever you want. Like literally do whatever you want, just follow this. And with my studio, Round Room Music is named after the hammer. There's a line in there that says, love is a round room, there are no corners to hide in. With Round Room, it is really a church. This PR lady, Claire Ratcliffe in Nashville says, you know what, it's so hard to sum you up. She goes, you know what it is? You're an ambassador for healing in everything you do. That actually, it does really sum it up in the work. As long as there's something to do with inspiration and healing, then cool, how about it? Doesn't necessarily mean that every song has a healing element to it. And I picked this kid, Patrick Barnett, and he's a nursing student. He wants music as medicine. And two of the songs that are coming out, he wrote to inspire people to not commit suicide. I mean, that's so in my theme, it's ridiculous. Perfect. Work with the engineer, vocal coaching and all of that. And I don't, I don't really have a say in much of it. I, I step in and be like, that's awesome. <laughs> Good job. A, a lot of people have recording studios and they talk about making music. You have a much more advanced recording studio than a house studio, it appears. And you are making 
top level professional records. And I have to assume that you have all of the staff there that knows how to put that together and you're leading the, the group. How much impact has your studio had on the music industry in Nashville? And where would you like to take it? I know you've already talked about how you want people to come in with the mystical yes. Yeah. Well, where do you want it to, where do you want this, this to go? And, and how, what kind of vision do you have for it? You know, it's funny. That's a great question. We haven't even opened yet. We're going to do our official ribbon cutting in October, the Chamber of Commerce. It's all been word of mouth, seeing where we fit. Me and my best friend sat down and we just basically interviewed a ton of artists from the engineer side to the artist side and seeing like, where do you need help? Where can we be of service? Really, it's about the space. It's a space. It's like a healthy, safe place for creatives. So you can come in there and just work on a song and, and just work on writing the song and then rehearse it. You don't have to come in and say like, oh, you only have three to five. And after five, you're going to get double time. It's a creative, safe place for creative people, really. And as far as the recording studio, there's only three places in Nashville that I've heard of that can fit an orchestra and it can fit probably a 16 piece. So that is also why I wanted that particular place. The sound is so magnificent. So it's not just country music recording studio. I have women that are coming in and doing healing bowls, healing drums. I look at that. Okay. Well, those are all women and those are all women working together. All right. Well, Let's bring the men in. I brought in the nonprofit that works with mainly men who are musicians who are suicidal. Bring them together with the healing bowls and the healing drums. Then you have a room of men and women working together, helping each other. And it's on film so we can watch it and then we can hear it and it'll be awesome. So that is another layer of collaboration because I just know when I get those people in the same room, watch what's going to happen. That healing bowls and those healing drums are going to get the voice of that depressed musician who's going to suddenly not be so depressed now. And we're going to have a song. Have you given any thought to the spoken word community? I know there's some conversations happening and they have been happening for years. I've been in the spoken word world since 1984 when I performed my first spoken word show, two hours long of memorized poems from the school textbook performed as theater in Black Amazing. Mountain at McDibbs. And I went on from there to perform thousands of shows and memorize hundreds and hundreds of poems, write plenty of my own and become quite involved in the poetry community, the spoken word community, the language allowed community, if you will, which is what we're really talking about. We're talking about language here in all kinds of forms. And poetry certainly is just one of those forms in the poetic disposition, which is what we all have, which is part of the mystical yes. And there's a relationship. It's all in the same family, the poetic disposition, the mystical yes, coming together to form blooming flowers from your recording studio or wherever it is. The spoken word poets, many of whom have talent just oozing out of them, are still wondering and asking, how can we get our messages out in the same way that a musician would, would be able to get the message out? How do you blend the spoken word poet, the singing bowl, the drums, and the studio together to bring something that has yet to emerge. Is that awaiting us? That's really funny that you mentioned that. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> because I have songs that are in pricked that I'm slowly doing. One is out already. It's called Really Love Me. It's going to be a compilation of people. It's called Angela Shelton Full Circle. And the second song we're working on is a Bandu in Paris club song with spoken word from yours truly. It's my message to human traffickers. And it's inspired by the Bandouche in Paris. Is that yeah. true? Yeah. Now, I have to say, I've missed a few opportunities to go to the Bandouche in Paris, but my buddy, John Van Hassel, who was a Sigma photographer and now shoots for Getty, he has photographs of all of the early days of the Pret-a-Port in Paris, oh, yeah. the catwalk, back when Naomi Campbell was young and all of That's those me. famous ones. Were, were you in that same group? I was on the stage with her and Christy Turlington and Linda Evangelista. I was in the back. <laughs> well, well, you know, my friend John Van Hassel was shooting backstage shots at that same time. What was the time frame for that? That's funny. Oh, God, it would have been around 89. He may have you in his archives. Crazy. Absolutely, because he made so many shots back then. It was one of his one of his beats. And he has a lot of fantastic shots of people and and a lot of the old fashioned designers who were young then, now they die off and they are still in John's archives. And when one dies, he sells the picture like crazy because he like has that. these rare shots of the guys without their sunglasses or their head turned in weird ways back when they were young before they started protecting their brand. Armani used me a lot. Some, you can just look at me and figure that out. You're like, oh yeah, you're an Armani girl. Well, th that's all really interesting because when I was a child, my mother said to me, you are a part of all that you have met, yet all experience is an arch where through gleams that untraveled world whose margin fades forever and forever as you move. And wow. she always would say, all I want you to do is just be yourself. That's where the mystical <laughs> yes comes from, I think. Yeah. So, so coming back to Le Bandouche, <laughs> for those of you who listening, Le Bandouche was a big nightclub in Paris with all the 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 fashionable people showing up yep. a bit like studio 54 in new york yep. it was That's the same right. kind of kind of scene so coming back to your vision of this this spoken word and combining all that you have met yes do you think it's possible for the spoken word artists of the day to 100%. come up with something that would really get traction in, in popular culture Yes. And the perfect example is everybody's free to wear sunscreen. It's a series of spoken word advice that is set to awesome music. And that's just one that pops into my head. And that was inspiring me for my song because I have a recording studio. I'm totally scared to sing. Right. It's just like, oh, God, I can't do it. I can do a lot of things. But my first song, Really Love Me, which I wrote about a gaslighting sociopath narcissist, I had tried to sing it just because, I mean, everyone's like, well, Angela, you, you do have a recording studio. You should probably sing it. And then I got another singer who's brilliant and beautiful and awesome. I did spend God knows how many years on the road doing speaking engagements. I'm very good at it. And I'm like, why don't I just apply me doing a speaking engagement into the mic and I'm talking to human traffickers? hey let's go let's turn it on what i did is i wrote the story of this animation that i want to see visually because I'm, I'm so visual right i wrote a script of the visual of this story that i have and then i just spoke into the mic the lyrics of the story and uh I, my vocal coach 
uh, Jana Oots. She just kept nudging me and giving me other ideas. Okay, for this section, whisper it like you're whispering in their ears. Ooh, that's good. And so basically I just gave our engineer producer like a ton of material and then gave him a story of like, okay, this is where I want strings to come in and this to feel like water. I want water here rising and we're gonna drown everyone. (laughs) Whatever that is to you, it might be strings, whatever. I'm just gonna give you the story. That's, it goes back to collaborating. Here's my box that you need to stay in or my little round circle. And then now you go and put your creative slant on it. I wanted a song for those of us, myself included, you're in the car, like I had been not too long ago, where I'm like, really? I'm just gonna quit. Like, I am seriously gonna quit. I'm done. McDonald's is hiring for $17 an hour. (laughs) I'm done. I wanted a song for those of us, especially in the trauma and recovery movement, who just get just done. We're done. And I wanted a song that will totally put the pep back in your step. Like a total dance, like boom, boom, boom. You can't not dance to this almost. Puts a beat in your hiney. And also it's a call to action. Human traffickers. Hey, there's more of us than there are of you. I love the idea that you just lifted up about singing. You started out by saying, I don't think I can sing. And then you realized you could transfer your speaking skills to the microphone and Mm -hmm. play with that. So in a sense, I think our voices are songs and we are all singers in that sense. Now, maybe we don't hit the Ella notes or the Gaga notes, but we are able to express ourselves musically. And so many people don't realize that. So the idea that you can walk into a studio and do what you know how to do, label it, name it a song, and then put tools around it that will allow it to even have greater strength is is a worthwhile teaching moment. That's a teachable idea for all of us, rather than discounting our voices because we don't sound like the great singer. We walk in and surround ourselves with tools and make it make it happen. And even um, like your voice, you have an incredible voice. Like you know, let's put some uh, let's put some music under that. I've done a bit of that over the years, yeah. and I do like putting music under my voice. But I'm going to come to Nashville very soon and just knock on your door, and I'll bring cookies and say, "I'm here. Where's the microphone? Let's <laughs> let's turn on some of those bells." Actually, just to say, I don't know when this airs, but we are starting to work with nonprofits, and we're doing this live awards ceremony for DomesticShelters.org. I'm hosting it on September 15th. If people sign up and watch the award ceremony, it's gonna be 30 minutes long. Round Room, my studio, is gifting a song. You could do it spoken word. You can get over the fear or the insecurities of like, oh God, I've always wanted to have a song. I could never do it. Well, yes, you can. Which brings us back to the mystical yes. Yes, you can. If you'd like to view the 2021 Purple Ribbon Awards celebration, Wednesday, September the 15th at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time, you can Google Domestic Shelters 2021 Purple Ribbon Awards celebration, which Angela has already told you she will be hosting. And who knows, maybe you'll get to be the one to go to Nashville and record your next song, or your next spoken word piece, or your first song, 
or your first spoken word piece in Angela's Round Room Studios, a safe place where you can follow your mystical yes wherever you would like to follow it. So Angela, as we come to the natural close of our conversation, I was wondering if you wouldn't mind. Speak some words to the people listening about how they can be more engaged in their own creativity, how they can go in some of the directions that you've gone in into the mystical yes path. What would you say to those folks listening, thinking, I'd like to do that too, but I don't know how. Really listen. That would be my number one thing. Listen to the sound of your own thoughts and your own voice. We already know the answer to the question that we're asking. For example, if you're going to say 10 years from now, I always knew I had that song in me, or I always knew that I should have written that book right then. Well, you know it now. You're just not listening to yourself. Or, you know, I always knew I should have not been with that person. I, I knew it. Well, if you knew it 10 years from now, you know it right now. You're just not listening to yourself. So I say we should all, myself included, hey, you should listen to yourself. And I'll take the challenge. So I'll step up to the mic first. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be the singer on this song. Yes, 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 I'm granted. I'm going to speak it. And Angela, as you've pointed out, in order to speak it, you first have to listen. Closing on the idea of listening is a wonderful place to be because listening has so many rewards. You can listen internally. You can listen to the sounds around you. You can listen to your dreams. You can listen to your upcoming spoken word piece when it's done. People can listen to the voices of those around them, the loved ones, those beautiful voices. So listening is a wonderful place to close. Listen to your heart. Listen to the mystical yes. Thank you, Angela Shelton, for being on this show. I really do appreciate your time. Thank you. It was awesome. Mystical yes. And that, my friends, concludes my conversation with the wonderful Angela Shelton, singer, songwriter, or spoken word songwriter, film producer, actor, entrepreneur who has a wonderful recording studio in Nashville, Round Room. And if you like spending time in your kitchen, Angela has a delightful cooking show called Stirring Up Trouble. And as you've likely gleaned from this interview, Stirring Up Trouble is a show full of humor, full of cooking, and probably some wisdom to go along with it. And I will tell you this, when you watch Stirring Up Trouble hosted by Angela Shelton, just remember, there's always gonna be butter, as they say down south. There's gonna be butter in Angela Shelton's Stirring Up Trouble cooking show. So I hope this conversation has given you some insight in how you can go about doing the creative things that you would like to do. And of course, as you've gleaned from this conversation, almost anything you do has an element of creativity in it. That's why I was so pleased when the notion of the mystical yes emerged out of our conversation, a bit like the sunrise, the color palette in Angela's movie, The Hammer. If you recall all of the colors in the movie, led up to the sunrise and then moving into the light of day. Which reminds me of a poem titled Dawn, written by Paul Lawrence Dunbar, who was born in Dayton, Ohio in 1872, and he was the first African-American poet to garner national critical acclaim for his large body of 
dialect poems and standard English poems, essays, novels, and short stories. And sadly, he died too early at age 33 in 1906. He did leave a beautiful body of work behind. And so with the idea of Angela's color palette moving toward the sunrise in her movie The Hammer, here's Paul Lawrence Dunbar's poem, Dawn. An angel, robed in spotless white, bent down and kissed the sleeping night. The night woke to blush, the sprite was gone. Men saw the blush and called it dawn. I've always thought that little poem by Paul Lawrence Dunbar captures the, the essence of a sunrise coming up over a mountain or over the sea or over wherever you happen to be when you look to the east at dawn. So continuing on for a few more minutes around the theme Angela introduced to us about how it is possible for anyone to emerge from the dark night of the soul into the bright light of day. So on that note, I'd like to offer you another poem by Paul Lawrence Dunbar titled Sympathy, and in this poem you will recognize a line or two that you've heard before. You may have even quoted the line, not realizing it came from Paul Lawrence Dunbar's poem Sympathy. Here's the poem. I know what the caged bird feels, alas, when the sun is bright on the upland slopes. When the wind stirs soft through the springing grass, And the river flows like a stream of glass, When the first bird sings, and the first bud opes, And the faint perfume from its chalice steals, I know what the caged bird feels. I know why the caged bird beats his wing Till its blood is red on the cruel bars, for he must fly back to his perch and cling when he fain would be on the bough a swing, and a pain still throbs in the old, old scars, and they pulse again with a keener sting. I know why he beats his wing. I know why the caged bird sings, ah me, when his wing is bruised and his bosom sore, when he beats his bars and he would be free. It is not a carol of joy or glee, but a prayer that he sends from his heart's deep core, but a plea that upward to heaven he flings. I know why the cage bird sings. And that was Sympathy, written by Paul Lawrence Dunbar. And as you could probably tell, listening to the poem, it does fit in with the themes Angela works with and has been working with for years. The cage. We can end up in all kinds of cages, and, and if we can't find the, the door, we're likely to beat our wings on the bars for a long, long time. There's, there's some value, I think, in knowing that desire to beat the wings against the bar is really a reflection of, of hope. And the other idea that I love around what Angela is talking about, the door is there. You can find the door, and once you free yourself from the cage, off you go, and you can fly. You may have freed a moth from your room this summer. You get the moth, maybe put it in a glass, I'm speaking for myself right now, and then launch the moth outside, and the moth just flies away 
even though for the last hour maybe the moth has been banging its head against the glass not being able to find the opening in the glass because there was no opening to be found and yet my action freeing the moth maybe your action freeing the moth was the opening the moth needed so here's to all of all of us out there moving moving toward the the wide winds the place where we can spread our wings and fly so we are no longer caged birds singing we're uncaged birds with great voices lifting them on high and maybe even going to the round room and recording a spoken word piece in nashville tennessee at angela shelton's studio so on that note thank you ever so much for tuning in to twice five miles radio fertile ground for conversations worth listening to and remembering i'm your host james nave always broadcasting first on wpvm lp asheville 103.7 streaming online globally wpvmfm Dot org, the voice of Asheville heard all over the world, and on other community radio stations like KCEI out of Taos, New Mexico. Thank you, Walter Parks, for the theme song. WalterParks.com if you'd like to know more about Walter's music. JamesNave.com if you'd like to reach out to me. I always host a writing session every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Mountain Time. If you would like to join us, the door is always open. ImaginativeStorm.com for the link the Zoom link to get get into the Zoom room and do a little bit of writing with us. ImaginativeStorm.com for the Zoom link. Okay, that's it for now. Thanks so much for listening, and I do hope you tune in again next time, and until then, I'll catch you on that turnaround somewhere down the line.